Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Scripture reading today, our first scripture reading is uh, from the Old Testament. It is from uh, prophet Isaiah. It's the 43rd chapter, verses 22 through 25. Before we read, though, let us pray together. God, as we prepare to read and to hear and to encounter your word, open our ears. Unlock the things in our hearts that might prevent us from hearing that which you would speak to us today. And more, more than that, God, help us to listen. To listen to each other as we consider this word. To listen to the ways in which it speaks to our very lives and the ways in which we treat each other. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so God is speaking here and saying... Yet, you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but, I have been, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with, incense, with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Our second reading today comes from uh, last verses of the 44th chapter of Genesis, but the story begins seven or eight chapters beforehand. So let me remind us a bit of the context of what we will read. It's about Joseph, who is one of 12 brothers, the second to the youngest, and the favorite son born to the, of the favorite wife of his father, Jacob. If that sounds a bit dysfunctional to you, it's only because it is. Jacob demonstrated his favor by providing Joseph and Joseph alone a coat of many colors, or some translations are a coat with sleeves. All of that favoritism would be hard enough to take, but to top off this paternal favoritism, Joseph is given to bragging about dreams that he constantly has, dreams about how his family will bow down before him. He was kind of hard to take. The brothers 
are away and they meet a band of Ishmaelites and seeing an opportunity, they sell their baby brother into slavery. They take that beloved coat of many colors or sleeves and they dip it in animal's blood and they tell the old man that his favorite son was destroyed by wild animals. Joseph becomes a slave in Pharaoh's house, and through a plot with more twists than a Grisham novel, Pharaoh ends up making Joseph second command in all of Egypt. Then famine strikes the region, and Joseph is responsible for relief. His brothers, who had all but forgotten about him, are sent by their father to Egypt to buy food. As a result, his brothers, the same brothers who sold Joseph into slavery, they now stand before their younger brother Joseph, or rather, as the dream indicated, they bow before their younger brother Joseph, a ruler in Egypt. The key is, in this moment, Joseph immediately recognizes who they are but they do not recognize who Joseph is. Joseph grants them food. The baby of the family is Benjamin, also born to Jacob's favorite wife. In Benjamin's grain sack, Joseph hides a silver cup. The brothers leave carrying the grain that they had purchased, and Joseph and the hidden cup that Joseph has hidden. And just as they get to the edge of town, Joseph sends his troops after them with the word that someone has stolen the Pharaoh's silver cup and whoever is found to have stolen it must become Pharaoh's slave. The other brothers will be free to go home, but whoever is found with the cup will be enslaved by Pharaoh. The cup, of course, is found in Benjamin's sack, the baby, so he must become Pharaoh's slaves. His brothers are free to go, but they can't, or at least they don't. They return to beg for Benjamin's life, and Judah pleads that Pharaoh might take him. Just let my baby brother go home. He says it just this way. It's beginning in Genesis 44, the 33rd verse. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain as a slave to my Lord in place of the boy, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the suffering that would come upon my father. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. 
grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. So last Sunday, we reflected on how something so basic in Christian faith as forgiveness can be a very difficult thing to practice, in part because in forgiveness, we're trying to balance accountability and grace. It's not Christian to look at sin, the harmful, often painful ways we treat one another, and just turn our eyes and pretend that that's all okay. No, we know we are to be held accountable for our actions. But there's a limit to what accountability provides. So we strive to engage the world less shaped by what the world has done to us and more shaped by what God has done for us. So what does that look like? Today I want to suggest that forgiveness… Forgiveness is, it it requires that we be careful about what and how we remember, and it also requires an act of holy imagination. What and how we remember and imagination. I say so because to forgive means we limit how much the past has control over the present and the future. Philosopher George Santanyana is known to have said, those who do not remember the past, what, are condemned to repeat it. Santanyana views history as our teacher that we look at the successes and failures of days gone by and their lessons there upon which we can improve, grow, even mature. There's wisdom there. But this wisdom requires nuance. Is If Santanyana is worried that we will forget our yesterdays, William Faulkner worries that that's impossible. Faulkner says... The past isn't dead. It isn't even past. What he means is there are moments in your and my yesterdays that not only serve as teacher, but they invade the present in a defining way. We view the present through the lens of some yesterday's injuries and disappointments, and the injuries of days gone by live in us for a lifetime. I I was… I was visiting my grandparents. I was in high school. I was visiting my grandparents, and my grandmother said, could you… could you cut the grass, please. I said, sure. She said, you'll have to borrow the Jackson's lawnmower. They lived across the street. I said, I I will? She said, oh, yeah, our lawnmower hasn't worked for three years. So I got the Jackson's lawnmower, and I, 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 I cut the grass. I wanted to return it filled with gas, so I went to our shed and got the gas, and it was right next to my grandparents' lawnmower, which hadn't worked in years, and it was missing a wheel. Some of the housing was rusted out. It was worthless. So I took the Jacksons more back to them, and then I went to the shed, and I got that old beaten-up lawnmower, and I took it out to the street so that the trash pickup could just take it away. I told my grandmother I'd done that. She said, oh, thank you. I'd love that. She said, but good luck with that. 
I didn't know what she was talking about. Hours later, my grandfather returned from work, and the first thing he did is he retrieved that broken lawnmower and took it back to the shed. I said, boss, that's what we called him. I said, I said boss, what are you doing? The, the lawnmower's broken. He said, well, yeah, but you never know if you're going to need it. I said, but it doesn't work. He said, yeah, but there are parts here. And I, I said, well, what you, you can't use the blade like a ceiling fan or something. What, 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 what are you going to do with this? He said, well, you just never know. You know what was going on there, right? This man was a man of the depression. And that past shaped every moment of his life. The past wasn't dead. It wasn't even past. You have to wonder what Joseph felt when these brothers, these brothers who hated him, these brothers who sold him into slavery, these brothers who told his father that he was dead, you have to wonder what he did with that past. He could have enslaved them. The power dynamic had reversed. Before, the elder brothers had all the power. Now he has all the power. He could have enslaved them eye for an eye. He could have made them Pharaoh's servants, but he doesn't do that. He gives them food and sends them home. If the past isn't past, how did he do that? One of the thinkers who has influenced my own thoughts about forgiveness is Miroslav Volf. Volf teaches at Yale. His theological convictions were shaped by his experience in former Yugoslavia. Wolf, as a Christian and as a man married to an American woman, was viewed as a national security threat in the Soviet world. When people are afraid, being a national security threat can come easily. In Wolf's book, The End of Memory, Remembering Rightly in a Violent World, he shares his experience. He says he was interrogated frequently, aggressively. He makes it clear he was not tortured, but the interrogations were intense. They were led by someone Wolf identifies simply as Captain G. Wolf knows what Faulkner speaks of, for he said years after the fact, he said it this way, years after the experience, it was as though Captain G moved into the very household of my mind. He ensconced himself right in the middle of its living room, and I had to live around him. The past is not dead. It's not even past. Wolf, leaning on his faith and his trust in God, said the only way forward for him was to forgive all of that. There would be no justice. There would be nothing making it right. His only way forward was to forgive all of that. And to forgive it, he said, he had to forget the pain, forget the fear, forget the injustice of it, forget the yesterdays that now threatened to control his present and tomorrow. And he refused to let the past 
control the future. He describes this forgetfulness as remembering rightly. You've heard the saying, remember that it never happened again. You've heard that? Wolf says it actually works in the opposite when the memory is one of injury or pain or injustice. When we remember it, when the power dynamic shifts, we'll make sure it happens again. He says victims will often become perpetrators precisely on account of their memories. He says sometimes to forgive, we have to forget. Joseph remembered rightly. He doesn't treat his brothers as they treated him. He chooses to let that past go. Now, I, 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 know, I know you're thinking, that, Tom, you've forgotten part of the story. You've forgotten the silver cup part of the story where he buried that cup in Benjamin's sack and set the baby brother up. You forgot about that. Yeah, not, not really. I, I'm not so sure that what Joseph is engaging here is payback. I think what he's doing is he's engaging in imagination. Uh, Forgiveness not only requires a willingness just to let some things go, just forget them, just let them go, but forgiveness is also an act of imagination. This is what I mean. When Joseph's brothers stand before him, those who had treated him so unjustly, when they stand before him, he puts them back in the same situation that they had put him in. The younger brother now, Benjamin, is in trouble. He has placed the whole family in jeopardy. And just like his brothers had sold Joseph into slavery, one of their options now is to just let Benjamin go into slavery, save themselves, let Benjamin go just like they did before. This time, Benjamin, as far as they know, he brought all this on himself anyway. But Joseph imagines, wonders, thinks it's possible that these brothers this time might choose to be better men than their own history indicates. Maybe this time, They will be better men than they had been before. He he could have said, I know these guys. I know their meanness. I I know their selfishness. I know exactly what they will do. But he tries to imagine, is it possible that they might be better men than their own history indicates? It takes imagination. It is the essential component to the work of forgiveness. I think the most dramatic expression of this that any of us have seen in our lifetime is the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Desmond Tutu, a giant of the anti-apartheid movement, which began in 1959 and reached a crescendo in the 1980s, When apartheid fell, Tutu rejected the Nuremberg trial model that followed World War II and instead established the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. 
He wrote about it in his book, No Future Without Forgiveness. The process of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is that those who had committed atrocities, horrendous acts, were invited to come and just tell the truth of what they had done. And if they tell the truth, then forgiveness would be granted. Amnesty would be offered. For Tutu, there was no future without forgiveness. In an interview on 60 Minutes in 1997, Tutu talked about it this way. Right now, you sense a national catharsis. It's happening. It, it, it's, it's not easy to, to open wounds. It's very painful. But if, if you don't want them to fester, you must open them and cleanse them and then pour balm on them. Archbishop, you are a man of the cloth. Thank you for reminding me, yes. Don't you think <laughs> that granting a murderer amnesty, which is a form of forgiveness, yeah. even if he doesn't repent, don't you think this is carrying Christianity a bit too far? Christianity has always been a religion that takes risks. We are saying people who have committed horrendous acts, demonic acts, monstrous acts, are not monsters, are not demons. They remain human beings. We don't say that because you are a perpetrator, uh, therefore you remain a perpetrator forever. We say that there is the possibility of changing. Did you hear it? Bob Simon asked, don't you think forgiving a murderer is taking Christianity a bit too far? Tutu responds, Christianity has always been a religion that takes risk. Forgiveness is always a risk because there's no guarantee that change will happen. There's no guarantee that healing will come. There's no guarantee that peace will be achieved. We forgive. We forgive because we want to be shaped by the God who loves us. And that God promises, I will remember your sin no more. I will forget your iniquity. I will remember your sin no more. And not only that, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see there is no end to the holy imagination that Jesus has for you and for me. It is a risk that he took time and time again because he knows the truth of us. He knows the limitations of us. He knows how our injuries and failings and disappointments and experiences of injustice can shackle and chain and hold fast to our present and every future. But he continues to call us to forgive 77 times 
to go the second mile, to love the neighbor, to love the enemy, to never let the sun go down on our anger, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, to love one another as I have loved you. He never stops calling us to that promised day. And it's not because of our past. It's because of God's future. And so when Faulkner says we're at risk of being controlled by our past, Jesus says it is possible to be shaped by God's future. But that takes some imagination, doesn't it? Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.